Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you and be here this morning. I'm so grateful for the invitation by uh, Pastor Matt uh, to to come and share with you. Um, boy, I just I, let me just start here by saying this: I, I was excited to hear Nicole's report about what the church is doing with um, uh, next steps. You know, the convention has spent a lot of resources and a lot of energy and time in providing a, um, a strategy and a process that churches can go through that can help them to connect in their community. They can help them to connect in, in ways that maybe they haven't in a long time. And one of the things that, and this is not an infomercial for this, but it, it really kind of resonated with me. It's a passion. You know, back, back in the day, uh, and some of you are going to remember this, and some of you are going to be shocked at this, but back in the day, the way churches used to reach people, 70s and 80s, is we bought school buses and we drove out into underserved areas of the community and people who had no idea who we were outside of the fact that it had the church's name on the bus gave us their kids. Now hear that. We went into areas nobody knew who we were and they put their kids on our buses. And we drove them to church and we loved on them and we cared for them and it was a way for us to connect with, um, with those families, right? We don't live in that world anymore, do we? Driving that bus into a place where nobody knows, nobody's given us their kids. The world has changed, and it's important for us to change. And the why piece, why, why should we make those adjustments, is because there are people out there that we're seeking to reach that know nothing about Jesus Christ. There are, there are generations now of people who have no idea what happens inside the walls of a church. They've never darkened the door of a church. I visited with a pastor not long ago who talked about having a young couple in their 20s that joined their church that he was trying to connect to. um, And after having a very short conversation with them, realized they were not believers. So he thought, I'll start kind of a high-level journey through Scripture, get to Jesus, share the gospel. And he started by saying, now you know Adam and Eve. And they looked at him in all sincerity and said, you know, we're new here and we haven't met them yet. That's the world we're trying to reach. You know, we can create all the great strategies and create all of the great uh, uh, resources for people to use. But if our communication lines are not getting through, nobody knows. And, and it's important for us today to make a shift that we can communicate in such a way that people who are out there that need to know the gospel, need to know Jesus Christ, can hear that and respond. And so I, I applaud you because change is not easy. It's not easy for any of us. I'm a crust toothpaste loyalist. And Sally brought home a toothpaste that didn't look like the crest box that I was used to. And I said, well, I'm not using that. That's not crest. 
She said, did you look closer? And I looked, oh, they changed the design on the box. Well, nobody told me. We, we all need to change. Even though it's hard to do, we need to change. Well, that, that's my, my commercial. That's not my assignment this morning, so I just want you to know. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and, and really our focus is going to be just on verse 6, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 in Nehemiah 4. And if my translation's a little different from yours, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And to, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let their sin be blo- and, and not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. So here's our focus verse. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the blessings of being able to be here today. The blessings of being able to look into your word and draw truths that, that come from there. That we, might, that we might be driven by those truths. That we might be shaped in our behavior and our activity and, and our cooperation, Father, by the things that you share with us in your word. We thank you for Jesus and for his sacrifice on our behalf. For if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here today. But Lord, we pray that you will will help us that we might set within our minds the work that lays before us and that we might be vigilant to that work and that we might commit ourselves to your service and trust you with the results. Lord, we thank you for your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to just share with you a little bit about who I am, Sally and I, and our journey before we get into looking at the text. Um, so I grew up in Colorado. Sally is a Colorado native, um, and I was a, a graduate of Colorado Christian University, went off to Missouri to, past, or to go to seminary, and then um, the Lord's taken us to churches in Missouri, back in Colorado, I pastored in Aurora for about seven years, and then he took us to foreign mission field, where we went to California for 16 years. <laughs> now, people ask me, where were you prior to this role, which I started last December 2021, and I, and I have to say, well, I was in California, but very quickly I have to say, but I grew up here. So, so you, you understand that, right? I don't need to unpack any of that. 
Well, in my time since December 1st, 2021, Sally and I have put on 45,000 miles on the car. A lot of windshield time. I was in Montrose yesterday, preaching here this morning. I'm in Granby this evening, and on Tuesday I'll be in Colorado Springs for the Pikes Peak Annual Meeting. And that's just a normal week. But you know, the beauty has been getting together and meeting Colorado Baptists, hearing from Colorado Baptists, what, what's going on in their world, how can we partner better together. And that's really the assignment that Pastor Matt asked me. Back in January, he said that September is the time for the Colorado Mission Offering, and I'd love for you to come uh, and preach in our church and just kind of share this cooperative spirit that we have together and why it's important for us to work in partnership. Now, what he didn't tell me at the time, and I didn't learn until later, is that he's suffering for the Lord in Hawaii this week, <laughs> which is great. And, and blessings to you for caring for your pastor and his wife like that. I, I can tell you there are not many churches that do that for their leadership. And what a blessing that is for them and a blessing it is in your reputation for, for caring for those that God has called and set apart. But my responsibility this morning is to, is to talk about this partnership that we have uh, across the state. And so I've been asked to preach in a number of our churches uh, related to this particular theme in this month. And I've chosen this passage of Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. Because there's an, important, there's an important message for all of us when we look at that, what Nehemiah declared. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I know that the Colorado Mission offering in this church is known as the Nicey Murphy uh, uh, State Offering. In fact, I had the privilege of getting to meet Nicey Murphy two times when I was a youth pastor uh, out of Lafayette. But I know that she holds a special place for you because she was a member here before uh, moving on to Texas. So it, it's a great privilege here to, to be able to share during this time of year. I've entitled my message, A Work in Progress. And, and looking at this passage, this passage speaks to why we cooperate together, but it has a larger context which I'd like for us to just kind of move through as we, we kind of look at the testimony of the book of Nehemiah before chapter 4. You'll remember that in chapter 1, it was Nehemiah who heard the word of the situation of the Jews that were still in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and he lived in the citadel of Susa. And as a report came to him that the Jews that were there were uh, in trouble and that they were despised and that the walls of the city still burnt were lay in ruin, he was distressed. He was distressed to such a point that for weeks he fasted and he wept over the condition of the people. Now remember, the Jews were in Babylon because of their disobedience to the Lord. And judgment came upon the people and God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in to destroy the city, to take off the leading people uh, into captivity, and they had been there for many years. But it was this, this word, even though Nehemiah had been separated from Jerusalem for a number of years, still there was a passion within his heart, an identity with these people that were his people. 
and that Jerusalem was the, the city where God dwelt. And there was great distress over this condition. And so he began to seek the Lord. He had a desire to go back, and he had a desire to see the walls rebuilt and the reputation of the city restored and the people protected. In chapter 2 it is, then we see that God answers Nehemiah's prayer. And it is that in chapter 2 verse 8, after Nehemiah had made great requests of King Artaxerxes, not only letters of travel that would permit him to go to Jerusalem, but also letters where he could go into the king's forest and they could harvest timber that they could use to rebuild the walls. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, And the king granted these to me, now hear this, because the good hand of my God was on me. This was the Lord's mission. This was the Lord's direction and conviction that he had given to Nehemiah. And the Lord was making it happen. I had a staff member when I was in California a long time ago who said, if it is God's will, it's God's bill. And so that God doesn't send us out to something that He hasn't offered or provided provisions for. Sometimes what holds us back is we ask the question, well, how are we going to pay for that? How are we going to take care of that? How is that going to happen? If that's the Lord's direction and the Lord's will, He takes care of all those details, doesn't He? And so we see this within Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He doesn't tell anybody what he is doing, but by night he goes and inspects the city and he inspects the walls. And he finds that the condition of the city and the conditions of the walls were even worse than he had heard. And then he gathers the people together and he casts the vision that God had given him. This was a compulsion for him that he could not let go. This was, this was a compassion that he had for not only these people, but for the work that God had set before him. And so Nehemiah was bound to see this happen regardless of personal cost to him. And so now, after seeing all of these things and taking this inventory in for himself, he gathers the people together and he shares the vision. And here's what he says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. He says, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer be a reproach. You have to hear those words coming from Nehemiah as perhaps the first words of hope that the people still living in Jerusalem had had. They had been ridiculed by those around them. They had been uh, scoffed at. They had been derided. And here is a one that stands up and says to them, let us do this because the hand of the Lord is upon us. And here's what the people said in verse 18. Let us arise and build. They caught the vision. They engaged the vision. They worked with the vision. And they began to do the work. Chapter 3 is perhaps my favorite chapter in all of Nehemiah. Because it shows this great sense of work together and cooperation. Now I thought, I might just read that chapter for you here this morning. But there are just a lot of hard to pronounce names in chapter 3. So I thought, let's just pull out a few examples 
of the work that was done and the great cooperation that was there. We're told that Eliashib, the high priest, along with his brothers, the priest, led the charge to rebuild the sheep gate. Then we're told the men of Jericho worked on the wall right next to them. And the sons of Berechiah and the son of Banah worked together to repair the walls that were in front of their home. Shalem, who is the ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, he repaired the section of the wall that was in front of his house in cooperation with his daughters. And then we're told Benjamin and Hashab began to work together in front of their homes. Now these are just a list of names that to us, now thousands of years later, just seem like names of people who lived in a particular area. But what I want you to hear, if you were to read through all of those names and their, and their heritage and their positions, is what you will see is these are people who represent every walk of life conceivable within the city of Jerusalem. These were not people who thought alike. These were not people who even behaved the same way. They didn't come from the same backgrounds. They had different cultures. They may have even in their heart languages spoken different languages. But they were gathered together for the common purpose of restoring the wall and the reputation in the city of Jerusalem. We are told that rulers work next to priests and judges work next to nobles. We are also told that the goldsmiths joined forces with the perfume makers and they all had a mind to work. People from different backgrounds, people with different likes, different dislikes, all came together. That unity is not uniformity. Everybody doesn't have to look the same. Everybody doesn't have to think the same. But they're gathered together for the same purpose. Their work was one that was for God's glory to accomplish God's purpose in God's city. To reach and touch people. You remember, the Jews were supposed to be a light unto God for the nations. And part of the reasons they were even in Babylon is because they failed to do that. But God was doing a work in restoring His people and restoring their reputation and giving back to them the task that he had set on them to do before. And it says that after all of that, they came together after all of that work. The con- Nehemiah's conclusion in verses, chapter 4, verse 6 was, so we built the wall. Now hear this. We, all of us together, built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to its half because the people had a mind to work. As I said, I entitled my message A Work in Progress because it is a depiction of the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel is never completed until the Lord Jesus returns. There are those who have laid the work and the foundation before us. Even in this church, in your history, there was a time of your beginning. There was someone who came with a vision and planted this church that there might be a gospel light in this location And there were leaders and and there were church members who came and who gave and sacrificed for that vision. And they built upon the foundation that was established. And on and on, each generation successively did the same work until you're here in this moment, in this time, 
and you're working to accomplish the purpose that God has set the light for the gospel in this place to be. It's a work in progress. As I came to Colorado in December of 2021, I came to a work in progress. There were already ministries and strategies that were going And so we've come in and we've tweaked some of those things and we've moved some of those things because the world changes and the way that we reach the world has to change even though the gospel message stays the same. The way we communicate has to be different or we'll find ourselves irrelevant in a world that still is lost and dying and need to know Jesus. You see, partnership that we share together runs in much wider circles than just geographic locations or cultural backgrounds, or in the languages that we speak. We all, regardless of our history, regardless of our background, we all are united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is our driving purpose. Everything else seeks to divide. If we talk about our own theological preferences, that divides us from other people. If we talk about our own likes and dislikes, that divides us from other people. If we talk about what sports team we like, that divides us from other people. I mean, except for the Broncos. Everybody's a Bronco fan. But when we talk about the gospel, it unites us and it brings us together. And this is one of the things that that this month really is an emphasis on. It's an emphasis on that we, none of us, not one of our churches, not one of us as individuals, can accomplish the work that we can do together. We're better together. You've probably heard that a number of times, maybe an overused phrase even within our denomination. But the reality is that it's true. What has united us as Southern Baptists has been this cooperative spirit that we have together, that we recognize that we can do more united together, working for the gospel cause than we can by ourselves. Just a couple of examples of that. Because of our work together, 3,650 missionaries are able to be on the international mission field through the International Mission Board. 3,650. Many independent churches who support missionaries independently don't have what we have in the cooperative program, may be able to support even larger churches, may be able to support 20, 30, maybe even 50 different missionaries by providing 50 or $100 a month for them. Because you are a part of the cooperative program, you have equal part in 3,650 missionaries that are living overseas, reaching people for the gospel, that are speaking languages that we don't speak, that are living in areas that we will probably never visit. And the gospel work is moving forward. It's because of the cooperative effort, because of the cooperative program giving of this church because of the, you give to Lottie Moon. You know, I've, had, I've had people who don't have SBC backgrounds say, tell me about these three ladies that you give money to. You know, Lottie, Annie, and Nicey. It never seems like we pay them off. <laughs> and it gives an opportunity to speak to what is, what is the reason for these things and who these individuals were and the sacrifices that they made so that mission work could be done. But we do this together, and all of this is accomplished because people have a mind to work. 
right? No one church could support 3,650 missionaries. In fact, I was in Anaheim at the annual convention this year, and there were 25 new mission families that were, um, uh, that were presented and assigned to mission field that were going off to, to the work that they had, had not been assigned to previously. And, and the work continues and it moves forward. The North American Mission Board is a part of the, uh, what is benefited by the support of the cooperative program as well. Last year alone, 300, or 740 new churches were planted across the United States. Now we had, um, I believe we've had 12 in Colorado. Frank Cornelius, who is the Send City Coordinator for uh, Colorado, um, he told me at one juncture back in the spring, I said, how many churches have been planted in Colorado? He said, six or seven. I said, 67, that's amazing. Well, it's pastorally speaking. But we've had, I, I believe at this point, we've had about 12 or 15 new churches planted. Now, I want you to understand, for the nation, that's an amazing thing because there are areas of our, of our uh, country that are underserved by the gospel or where no gospel witness exists. And because of the cooperation of churches together, now there's able to be a gospel witness there. Here in Colorado, the same thing. I've traveled, I told you, 45,000 miles. That's a lot of miles. I had my car serviced here last Wednesday. The guy says, I'll see you in March. I said, no, I'll see you in three weeks. (laughs) But I've been to places where it's a hard work. Some of our mountain communities are difficult, not only in the culture that exists there, but also in the cost of living and and the opportunities that church planters have for bivocational work. It's very, very hard work, but they're able to be there because of what you do here, because of the work that we do together, because you give to the cooperative program and to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. These areas of our, uh, of our place are amazing. I want you to think about, because you give to the cooperative program, I want you to think that because of the work that's done here in Centennial and the sacrifice made here in Centennial, you partner with churches that are Spanish, a church of Spanish-speaking in Monta Vista. And you, church, you partner with churches in Sacramento that are reaching Russian-speaking people. Do we have any Russian speakers here? And certainly no one lives in Sacramento. And just, that's an amen. Just praise the Lord, you don't live in Sacramento. Or reaching Native American peoples who are in New Mexico and Arizona and the southern part of the state. Because you are a partner, because you are a part of that, those people are reached. The gospel goes out. As I've traveled across Colorado, I've heard many pastors talk about, many church leaders talk about isolation. How they feel alone. I mean, it's been a rough couple of years, hasn't it? COVID hit, and then our, our culture, our country has been so divided. So many different things that have sought to steal away our attention from from what we as Christians are supposed to do about sharing the gospel, about being about unity, about loving one another. And as I've been across the state, I've heard as the North American Mission Board transitioned away from associational ministry and into church planting, it left a hole. Now, 12 years later, there's still a hole here in Colorado. And so we, in the Colorado Baptist General Convention, got together and talked about 
How can we bridge that gap? Do you realize that there are churches in parts of our state that the pastor has left or there was a conflict or even a death of a pastor and the convention office didn't hear about it until a year later because there was no one on the field that was assigned to building relationships with pastors and churches. And one of the strategies that we have done is that we have taken and put in place what we were referring to as regional directors. And those regional directors are people who have the assignment of building relationships in those associations, but they also serve as state staff people. Our convention is, is decentralizing its office and pushing resources to the field because that's where it goes so that we can create strategy that is for the field that is informed by the field so that we're not just looking out a window and saying we think they could use this when we ultimately realize that's not what's needed and all of that is able to be done because we partner together the work together is important the value of partnership is irreplaceable. We, working together, are able to touch lives that we could never touch. The work of the gospel requires all of us to shoulder the load. Just like they were doing in Jerusalem, everyone had a part. No one person could build that wall. But everyone working together could be a part if they had a mind to work. We can do this. It requires the executive working next to the hourly worker. It requires the educator working next to the contractor. It doesn't make any difference your abilities. It doesn't make any difference your age. It doesn't make any difference your background because it's the Lord who accomplishes these things through His servants. Isn't that an encouraging thing? Listen, I'm encouraged by that because I, I know my limitations better than anybody else and I have many of those. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to be something special for God to work. God's just looking for obedience. God's just looking for someone to grab a handful of seed and to go out in a field and to throw it. He's going to germinate the seed. He's going to make the the seed grow. We can't do that, but He can, and He calls us into partnership. It requires Arapahoe Road Baptist Church standing along Iglesia Bautista El Samaritano in Sawatch. It requires the first Hmong church of Broomfield standing next to New Heights Baptist Church in Pueblo. It takes all of us coming together that we might work in the gospel. The work's a work in progress, isn't it? It's not finished, it's not accomplished, but it's moving forward as we work better together. So why is partnership important? Because there's still people who need to know Jesus Christ. That is our driver. That's why we we gather to worship, we gather to glorify the Lord, but we gather to be energized so that we go back out in the mission field and be the ambassadors that God's called us to. That's the work that we do together. And the question for us is, as we go out and do that, is will we be those hands and feet? Will we be those ambassadors that God has called us to? There is a circle of influence that you have that nobody else has in this room. 
There are people you know. There are occupations that you have. I've got a, 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 a frame. I just framed a simple statement that um, I borrowed. I didn't steal. I borrowed from the International Mission Board. And it says, indigenization trumps contextualization. And what that means is, if you are in that field or from that area, you have an inroad that someone moving in doesn't have. So you can go into an area that you're not from, you can learn all about, but it's not the same as being from there. It's not the same as being with that people group. It's not the same as those things. And so maybe there are doctors in this room. Maybe there are construction workers in this room. Regardless of what your background is, you have an in. The Lord has put you in that place that you might be a gospel witness to those people that the construction worker can't have that conversation with the doctors like another doctor can. Does that make sense? And we have to be faithful to that work. But when we do it together, we can reach the world. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're going to just thank the Lord and then enter into a time of invitation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your truth of your word. And we thank you for the call that you have given to us to be people who will be your hands and feet out into the world. That Father, that it is an important task for us to work together. Many times it is our focus of what's going on in our own local church, which is important. But it's also important to be reminded that while we work here, we're a part of something much bigger. And Father, I pray uh, this morning as we enter into a time of invitation that, that maybe there is one here that, as we've talked about the gospel, they don't know the gospel. They don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Lord, maybe you are speaking to that person specifically. Lord, I pray that that person will come to a place of recognizing that, yes, what the gospel says about all of us is that we're sinners and that we're without hope, without Jesus, and that he died on the cross and that he rose again. He took our sins, he defeated death, and now he, he is indeed our Savior, our only Savior. But Father, I realize that there may also be people who are sitting in this room that are, that are wrestling with a call. Maybe a call to vocational ministry. Maybe a call to be a missionary. Maybe a call to step up and, and to see their neighborhoods and their workplaces as the mission field that you've called them to. And they will be people that, that today will say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll be that person. Yes, Lord, I realize it's not my strength, it's yours, that I'll be obedient. Father, whatever you have spoken to us about, whatever you have touched the heart for, I pray that during this time will be a time of solidifying that in, in each mind, a time of decision, a time to yield, a time to give ourselves in greater ways to you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We ask your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what's normal for you. Do you normally stand during time?